Welcome to the 31st episode of the Head Kick KO podcast. Today, we're going to be doing a full breakdown of UFC 263. And after that, we're going to take a look forward to next week's fight card, which is headlined by Dan Ige and the Korean Zombie. But before we get started, make sure you go and follow my other social medias, which are Twitter and TikTok. You can find me on both of those at the Head Kick KO podcast. If you like this podcast, you should like both of those accounts where I make videos on TikTok and post on Twitter just simply about MMA, nothing too crazy, but it'll give you some MMA content throughout the week as I post the podcast on Sunday or Mondays. So to start, UFC 263, we're obviously going to start right off at the main event of Israel Adesanya and Marvin Vittori. So, this fight was another amazing performance by Izzy. This is putting a string of many, many of these types of performances together at 185 pounds. Obviously, he saw a little setback against Jan at 205, but at 185, he has looked pretty unbeatable, and he proved that again this this time around. And his strike, he Izzy didn't land as much in terms of striking as he did in some of his previous fights. He didn't land as many, you know, power shots, not as many head kicks. And I believe that's largely in part to Marvin's striking defense. He did much better than I thought he would in that category. But what impressed me most in this performance by Izzy was his defensive wrestling and some of his transitions on the ground. I mean, when when we see these... Um, progressions from Izzy. If you even if you just look at the first fight against Marvin, in comparison to this fight against Marvin, Izzy has improved so much on the ground, and he's gotten to the point where he can negate wrestling very well. And every time he was taken down in this fight, when he wasn't able to stop a takedown, he was able to get up or reverse transition or reverse positions very well. Excuse me. He was taken down early in the first round, and I was kind of worried because, you know, coming in, there was a lot of talk about how Marvin, his big opportunity to win this fight would be on the ground, and then when he gets Izzy down, you're thinking, you know, okay, this might be one of those types of fights where Marvin can find the takedown early and often and have success with it. Well, that wasn't the case. Izzy was able to get his back to the fence. And when Izzy gets to the fence, he is far harder to take down. And that is, you know, unless you're Habib, who's an excellent offensive wrestler off the fence, you know, that defensive position up against the fence is much harder to get a takedown from there. We saw several times where Marvin had the arms locked or the hands locked, excuse me, um, you know, uh, behind Izzy in that position. And he still wasn't wasn't able to get the takedown. And Izzy just stayed very composed in those situations when Marvin was pursuing takedowns. And, you know, and when he was taken down, he was able to get back up, which is very impressive. And, you know, when it was on the feet, Izzy was obviously very dominant. I mean, Izzy is very difficult to beat because if you sit back and try and pick him apart at range, he's just going to pick you apart. He did that against Marvin, and he did that against Paulo, where he stayed on the outside and 
damage that lead leg to where it really affects the fight in in a way where very few guys can can get a leg kick to affect the fight the way Izzy does. So he makes you scared of that leg kick from distance, but you can't really get inside and do work on the inside. Um, Marvin didn't really attempt to go to the body, so maybe that played a part in it. I'm sure it did. But when Marvin was headhunting, you know, Izzy has great head movement. There was one clip that went um, was doing pretty good on Twitter. I'm sure you probably all saw it. I mean, Izzy, you know, dodged about six or seven strikes from Marvin in one exchange, and I think the only one that he got hit with was a soft jab. So, for Izzy, if he's he's good enough offensively, where he he, he can pick you apart from a distance. But he's good enough defensively to where if you're able to, you know, close the distance, it's not going to make as much of an effect because he, he, you won't be able to hit him because his head movement is so good. And at 185, he's going to be a problem for just about everyone ranked. I mean, we've all known that and we've pretty much accepted universally that Izzy is the top, the top 185 pounder in the UFC by a long mile. So what's next for Izzy? It's tough to say, or excuse me, it's not tough to say. Robert Whitaker is next. I don't know why I almost said uh, it's tough to say, but um, Robert is gonna, I did just say that it's tough to see someone beating Izzy at 185, and I still believe that. However, with that being said, Whitaker does have the most um, logical chance, if you think about skill-wise. Rob, Rob Whitaker can mix up the offense or the takedowns and the offensive striking far better than Marvin can. And I think that is going to play a larger factor. And that could make the wrestling more effective than Marvin was able to, which is weird to say because Vittori is such a great wrestler where you wouldn't think that Whitaker, who's also a great wrestler, but he's not, um, he's not wrestling. Rest, he doesn't really have a large wrestling background and he doesn't really, he can, he can win a fight without ever using his wrestling, which would be far more difficult for um, Vittori to do. But if Paulo can mix He's going to have to mix all of these aspects that we've talked about, the range, the close distance, the takedowns. He's going to have to mix all of that. And staying unpredictable is the way, I believe, the best way to beat Izzy. If you're predictable, he's going to be able to pick you apart. And I think Whitaker does stand the best chance right now. And it's widely accepted that he will get the next title shot. But right now, from what I've seen from Izzy and what happened in the first fight, I would hit very early prediction, but I would have to lean Izzy just because of how good he looked in the first fight and how good he's looked in his most recent fights, which um, Whitaker has looked good as well. It's not, it's not that Rob is declining, but Izzy is still obviously... Um, the top 185 pounder on the planet. And if he's able to get past Robert Whitaker, we're going to have a whole new 
row of challengers for Izzy. So that should be exciting. It doesn't look like he's going to run out of fighters to fight just yet. So he still has a lot of time left at 185 in terms of um, before we have to start going through these guys twice. I mean, if you look at Usman, he's getting to the point where he's going to start having to go around twice to fight some of these welterweights. Um, as of right now, Izzy's in a much better spot in terms of that. As it just look, it right now it just seems like middleweight is um, more wide with title challengers. I don't want to say deeper. I don't want to say that 185 is a deeper division than 170 in terms of talent, but in terms of getting a title shot, I think, um, you know, you have Darren Till at seven. I could see Till getting a title shot. You have Masvidal at seven, Magni at eight, Kiesa at six. I could see Darren Till getting a title shot before any of those three. So that's kind of what I mean there. Um, same with Hermanson. If Hermanson can get a couple wins, Brunson, um, has a good streak going here. So I wouldn't be surprised if some of, uh, these guys, I, well, Izzy has already fought Brunson, but you know, Cannoneer and, um, Izzy still has a lot of names left at 185 and a lot of options before he runs out and, uh, you know, maybe he moves back up to one or to 205, excuse me. But, um, for right now we have Whitaker and we have some fights in place where we can see another title challenger soon so it looks like Izzy is trying to stay active and that's good and it looks like he won't run out of title challengers for uh for him while he is staying active and then in the co-main we saw Brandon Moran or you know what before before we jump to the co-main excuse me let's uh let's touch on Marvin Vittori because Marvin, um, he this is he's in a really interesting spot where what are we going to see from Marvin next? What type of an attitude are we going to see? I mean, Izzy in his post-fight press conference said that Marvin thought he won that fight. Um, I don't know how true that is. I'm going to assume he did say that, but we haven't heard Marvin say that. And I don't think Marvin has been able to rewatch the fight. Well, he probably has, but um, he wasn't able to rewatch the fight at that point. So do we see Marvin in the future? Do we see him in a situation where he's hanging on to this loss thinking he won, even though it is very clear that he did not? Or do we see Marvin um, get back in terms of activity and stay disciplined and, you know, not really hang his head on uh, this loss here like he did seem to do, at least with the first Adesanya fight. And Vittori is still in a good position because like I just said, there's a lot of guys in this 185-pound division that are in a position to challenge for a title. So that gives Vittori a whole list of candidates uh, contenders that he can fight to try and work his way back up to the title shot whether whether that is the you know I mean whether that's the loser of Jared Cannonier and Calvin Gastelum whether it's the winner I mean if Gastelum lo uh, lost you wouldn't see Vittori versus Gastelum but if Cannonier loses you could see Cannonier versus Vittori 
I mean, you have Derek Brunson versus Darren Till taking on maybe the winner of that fight. You have Jack Hermanson. We probably wouldn't see that rematch right away, but um, Jack Hermanson's name is still running around in this division, so we could see that fight again in the future, probably not the immediate future, but down the road. So there are still a lot of names for Vittori here that uh, could be interesting matchups. Uriah Hall, a possibility. Hall is fighting Sean, Strick, Strong, Sean Strickland. Excuse me. So if Uriah Hall can go out there and get a win, if you're Vittori, Uriah Hall is probably a very good stylistic matchup, and you can take out a guy on a winning streak, even if his ranking isn't that high after the Sean Strickland fight. Um, and that's obviously assuming Uriah Hall wins. But, you know, the point I'm trying to make is all these, or you know what, before I get there, Paulo Costa, you know, if, if Paulo and the UFC can agree on a price, um, we haven't heard anything more about that situation. But if Paulo Costa and the UFC can agree to terms um, financially, you know, Paulo versus Marvin would be a very good fight. And it would give both those guys who are coming off losses to Adesanya, you know, kind of, that would I think that would put either guy one win away. If you're Costa and say Costa beats Vittori and then, you know, can any other guy really, they can make their case for a rematch. Vittori might be a little bit tougher because he did lose twice um, and he doesn't have an excuse as of yet. I think some people are believing in the excuse of Costa as he said he was, you know, drunk the night before. So that could play into a, you know, rematch and it's it's a lot more likely we see a rematch with Costa rather than a trilogy fight with Vittori. But, you know, anyway, any t- anyway that works out, uh, Costa versus Vittori would make a lot of sense. And Vittori has a lot of options is the point I was trying to make there. And um, so that's just one last thing I wanted to throw in there before we moved in to the co-main event, which in the co-main event, we saw Brandon Moreno defeat Divison Figueredo to become the UFC 125-pound champion and the first Mexican-born champion in the UFC. And before we even talk about this from a fight standpoint, just purely from an emotions, um, that was great to see. I mean, the emotion from Brandon Moreno in his post-fight press conference and immediately after the fight, I mean, that was amazing. Brandon Moreno is such a cool guy, and he's someone, he is a true fan favorite, where he's not disliked by very many people, Um, myself included. I love Brandon Moreno. He's a great dude, funny guy, um, and an inspiration to a lot of people, and even though I thought Divison Figueredo was going to win this fight, um, you know, regardless, Brandon Moreno still you know, is a fan favorite. And I think a lot of people shared that sentiment there where they wanted Brandon Moreno to win and thought that Figueredo was going to win. And that's not, that's not, uh, when I said that, I didn't say that as a knock on Moreno, rather a lifting up of Divas and Figueredo because I thought he was that talented and he is that talented. However, Brandon Moreno going in and defeating Divis and Figueredo in the way he did really boosted his stock in the eyes of many people in terms of his talent and ability. And 
he he already had the the fan support in terms of everything outside of the cage and then he went in there in the cage took on Davison someone who many people believe to be such a high level fighter in every aspect of the game very balanced and a very tough guy to beat on paper and he was able to win on paper or excuse me he was able to win you know he was able to win the fight and um his future looks bright there's going to be a lot of challengers at 125 because we haven't seen that belt you know truly defended multiple times in a long time obviously Figueredo started that but that division did you know um, the contenders had an opportunity to put some fights together because we obviously saw the Moreno and Figueredo rematch. We saw the fight once, saw the rematch. Then they took a period of time off, deservedly so. But what that did, that was able to build up, um, build up the contenders in this division uh, a little bit. And Moreno... You know, before before we get into before we get into you know the contenders and who I'd like to see next for Moreno, um, let's talk about the fight real quick. This fight, I mean, it's weird, but there really isn't much to you know piece apart in terms of the X's and O's in this fight. Brandon Moreno won, you know, just about every every second of this fight, really, and. It was very interesting because Figueredo was not very active in the first round of this fight, and he didn't seem, you know, like himself. He wasn't as aggressive. However, when the aggression was turned up, we still saw Moreno winning the fight. So on one hand, you can say, oh, this performance, you know, from in the three rounds that we saw, we didn't see the best version of Figueredo. But when Figueredo was having high points in that fight, in, a, in, you know, situations where it looked like he was going to be, you know, in an advantageous position and was doing, you know, um, and was performing more at his caliber, he still wasn't winning that fight. And that, to me, is what kind of sealed that. And I think that Moreno proved he is the better fighter, and he came in this time around with his wrestling on point, which I think is the largest factor at play here. Obviously, he won via rear naked choke, but I didn't think that he was going to be able to, you know, out-wrestle. Well, he, there was always the chance that there was always there was always the opportunity for Moreno to out-wrestle Figueredo, but I didn't think he was going to out-grapple him because of how good Devison is at just jiu-jitsu in general. But he was able to do that, and he was able to defend, you know, all the submission attempts from Devison, which was impressive because he is a high-level grappler, like I just said, and he stayed out of danger. And, you know, it gets to a point in a fight where, you know, sometimes we see, we see you know, fighters attack um, submissions and you know you don't see another takedown because fighters are worried about getting submitted but not with Moreno there were situations where you know figured that it was going for a guillotine or a leg lock you know or a he in a heel hooks but you know Moreno stayed true to his game plan and that paid off for him as he was eventually able to get into 
uh, good position, took his back, and he was very – he got the back early. He jumped the back in a very impressive fashion, and he had a lot of time to work. And, you know, I've got I've got the card pulled up here, and the final count was 2 minutes and 26 seconds on that, and he had the back taken within the first 30 seconds of that round. So that just shows how methodical he was, and he never rushed anything. A lot of guys get in that position and they'll rush it, you know, or they'll just, you know, won't get a good grip on the rear naked choke and they'll squeeze and tire themselves out squeezing the choke. Not Moreno. Stayed composed, hand fought, threw punches, and was able to get that rear naked choke under the neck and eventually lock it up and get the finish. So we saw, you know, I think composed is the is the best word for Moreno's like in in terms of just his performance, he was very composed and that helped him both in, in, in every situation of the fight. When Figueredo was throwing massive bombs, we never saw Moreno, you know, we never saw Moreno look worried, you know, he wasn't getting caught, you know, and he, he wasn't running. He was just, you know, sometimes you'll see guys throw massive shots and the other person will start doing laps around the cage, trying to avoid them. But, Moreno and, you know, just dodged, blocked, stayed very composed on the feet when he was getting put in bad, I don't want to say bad positions, but Figueredo was close to getting him in some really bad positions in terms of submission attempts. Moreno stayed composed, got out, and then when he was in his own advantageous position, he didn't rush that position, and he was able to, and he was able to um, get the win. And that is something that is very impressive. And I think that will help him throughout his whole career. And right now, speaking of Moreno's career, what is next for him? I, I lean towards the trilogy. I, I, I really do here because it's not that, um, you know, this one's a tough one to try and to try and determine who's next because does I think you have to give Devison the benefit of the doubt in terms of giving him a trilogy because he did you know so much for the company last year fighting on a month's notice to headline two pay-per-views back to back that was very helpful to the UFC and I feel like they'll have to repay that favor and then if you could match up um and you know what even outside of that, Devison, I think, is still the second best flyweight on the planet. You know, Askar Askarov is still a very good fighter. And Alexandra Pantoja is still a really good fighter. But neither of them had tremendous last, I guess, you know. Yeah, neither of them really had you know, tremendous last performances. If you look at Eskar Askarov, his last performance was against Joseph Benavidez, and he did win that fight very dom- in a very dominant fashion. And, you know, that is there's something to be said for that. But at the same time, I don't think anyone out here right now is saying that Joseph Benavidez, but, ooh, excuse me, 
No one out here right now is saying that Joseph Benavidez is a top-tier flyweight, and he was, and he's still an all-time great flyweight. No disrespect to um, Benavidez in his career, but he's just not at that same level as he once was. And if you look at, you know, Pantoja, um, his last win was against Manel Cape. So that was a fight that that was a good fight, but Cape doesn't have a win in the UFC. And as much as he's done overseas, which is very impressive, and I'm a big fan of Manel Cape, but um, there was just something about that fight where watching that it wasn't um you know overly impressive uh not an overly impressive victory he he obviously went out there got the job done which is impressive but it wasn't knock your socks off there was no finish so I think he has a hard time getting a title fight coming off of that and then you have Alex Perez Brandon Royval Kaikara France Joseph Benavidez next four so I don't think any of those guys are going to get a title shot there so that pretty much leaves Askar Askarov and Pantoja for what's next. And they did fight in 2020, and Askarov won. So I think we just need some more matchups here in the top half of that division and then um, run the trilogy. And then once you get the trilogy done, then uh, you should have another top contender. Right now, you just have a couple guys who, you know, have impressed and they have, you know, made it seem like a title can be in their future, but I don't think it's anyone that is right now. And the the interesting thing here is Cody Garbrandt, because what are we doing with Cody? Is Cody going to go down to 125? Because he's he's in such a tough spot because Cody is still a top tier fighter. But is he going to really go out there and have, um, I guess, what I was going to say was, is Cody going to be able to go out there and beat someone like Moreno or Figueredo? I was going to say no, but, you know, thinking he might, he might, um, just because he is good on the feet, great on the feet excuse me, and he does have a pretty good wrestling background. Background was his first martial art, and he did go to wrestling a lot in the Rob Font fight, so maybe that is something he's been working on more in as of late. But um, I don't think that loss for Cody... Really, um, I don't think that loss for Cody really gave anyone the kind of feel that he was going to be a champion anytime soon. So I think it's tough putting him in a title fight right now. And, you know, there isn't really... That's, I think that's just going to be a situation with Cody where we're going to have to wait and play it by ear because maybe he can get himself another good matchup at 135 and that would take the... 125 pound title out of the question right now for him and if say TJ loses to Sandhagen here in a month or so I believe that fight is taking place you know that would probably be a fight that uh, the UFC pursues so as of right now 
it's looking like we're going to see Figueredo versus Moreno at um, for the trilogy for the 135-pound belt. But obviously that is not 100% yet simply because the UFC could go another direction and Thicke could go another direction in that and decide to move up to 135 because he has talked about how he wanted to move up to 135. Uh, when he was when he was making those claims and talking about that, he was a champion and he was wanted to pursue the double champ status. So it's hard to you know kind of figure out if is his head still in the same place because if double champ was the reason he wanted to move up, you know that's obviously not there anymore. But if he wanted to move up because the weight cut um, was such a problem for him, then you know that option is still on the table, obviously. And right now at 135, it's such a you know packed landscape because you have a line of challengers. Sterling won't be able to fight till the fall due to his injury, and then we're going to see the rematch with Piotr Jan obviously take place, and then. We have Corey Sanhagen and TJ Dillashaw, and you're going to have a really tough time convincing anyone that the winner of that fight doesn't get a title shot after that. And then Rob Font has put himself in a position with knockouts over Marais and a dominant performance over Cody Garbrandt that he isn't far off a title either. So moving to 135 right now is going to be tough for Figgy. Um, that's something that we'll have to take into account, but hopefully we can get an announcement here soon to help us determine um, if he's staying at 125 or if he's going up to 135. But as long as he's at 125, I really think that we're going to see the trilogy fight of Brandon Moreno versus Devious and Figueredo. And now moving on to moving on to possibly, you know, not possibly. It really was the most talked about fight of the night which we don't see really a fight three three spots down from the main event or two spots from the main event being talked about more than any other fight and that's Nate Diaz versus Leon Edwards and the reason that that the reason that that fight is being talked about so much is because of Nate Diaz and the reason that was a five-round fight was because of Nate Diaz and Leon got his hand raised in this, but in the court of public opinion, a lot of people are really, you know, high on Nate and low on Leon, and that has nothing to do, well, it has a little bit to do with what happened in the fight, but um, in terms of, you know, who performed better, but Nate was able to go in there and act like Nate. And he made that fight a Diaz fight. And when the Diaz brothers go in there and fight and you get the sense that it's a Diaz fight, they win in the media. And that is just something that Leon's going to have to deal with. And in a lot of situations, you have to absolutely dominate the, the Diaz brothers for them to lose in the court of public opinion. And it's unfortunate for Leon because he did win four rounds and he did walk out of there with a 49-46 victory and he did have some great moments in that fight. He landed some big shots on Nate. He was kicking the leg very well of Nate, but he wasn't able to get the finish and I think that was the problem 
And obviously finishing Nate Diaz isn't easy, but you didn't get the sense that he was looking for a finish either. It's not like, you know, he's chasing Nate around and he landed, you know, it's not like he had Nate. It's not like he had Nate in too compromised a, pos- a position. He didn't get any knockdowns and, you know, he was going for takedowns. And I think that was something that frustrated people. You know, obviously there's people who don't like wrestling and watching wrestling, but when you watch someone have success on the feet, as Leon was having, um, and then you take your opponent down, I get you're trying to mix it up, and I get what you're trying to do, but many people that look at that, and they're like, what are you doing? Because you're winning on the feet, and there was really no sense that, there was really no sense that that was going to change. And that frustrated people that uh, Leon was doing that and that he wasn't searching for the finish. However, in hindsight, despite as despite how much people didn't like that, um, Nate or excuse me, Leon was probably right in that because you didn't get to sense that that fight was going to change and Nate was going to be able to turn it up and strike start striking um, very efficiently. But that did happen with one minute left in the fight. Leon, you know, gets rocked. Nate lands that big shot on him, and he's almost able to get the finish in the in the last minute of that fight. And that is what made that minute so, so, um, you know, entertaining, where you get that sense that after 24 minutes of losing and no sense that Nate was going to turn it up, um, you got that, you know, it happened. You know, no one expects that to happen right there, and then it happens, and... It shows that Leon's game plan wasn't as bad as many people were um, were saying it was. And, you know, that kind of lets him off the hook in a weird way where if that last minute doesn't happen and that, and that 25th minute of that fight is the same as the first 24, and we're sitting here talking about how Leon didn't put his foot on the gas pedal enough, but by that last minute happening in such a strange way, it proves that if Leon, you know, really went too far and exposed himself, Nate could take advantage of that, which he did in the last minute. And, you know, taking Leon completely out of it, really, that last minute was the most, very possibly, the most entertaining minute of fighting in the history of the UFC. I mean, we, we were seeing something happening that was, like I said, did not expect that to happen. One bit, you see Nate land the big hand, the big uh, left hand, and you see Leon wobbled. You can see it in his face. You can see it in his legs. And then Nate taunts him. And then you're like, oh, my goodness. Nate Nate might pull this off, which would have been one of the largest upsets um, in UFC history in terms of if you're just looking at big, big um, star power fights that many people were watching. Um, obviously there's undercard fights with someone who's a plus 1000 dog who ends up winning. I'm not talking about betting lines. I'm talking about, um, just public, um, opinion. Nobody really thought Nate was going to win. And so many people were watching that fight and for him to, you know, it would have been a massive, upset 
And not only would it have been a massive upset, it would have been a massive comeback. And that that comeback rivals probably only Chael and Anderson in terms of best comeback of all time. Some people would say it was better. Some people would say it was worse. But um, parlaying that into uh, how big of an underdog Nate was, Anderson was the favorite in that fight, and we saw a last-second comeback submission. Nate being a, um, excuse me, Anderson was the favorite, and Nate being a massive underdog, making a massive comeback, being a massive star, and that everything going through your mind in that last minute was electric and truly special to watch. Um, my adrenaline was pumping. I don't think any, if you were watching that fight and your adrenaline wasn't pumping, you probably either don't like fighting, don't watch fighting, don't know who Nate Diaz is, or you should go see a doctor. If you were a UFC fan who didn't have your adrenaline pumping in that last minute, go see a doctor because something's wrong. And, you know, Nate obviously wasn't able to get that finish in the last minute, but that doesn't take away from how special that moment was because what that moment did was it kept Nate's stock high. Nate is able to lose and keep his stock high based off things which are usually outside of fighting. He's done it before in terms of, you know, just his likable personality that really appeals to the public audience and the casual audience. Um, we had that in this fight. And then that almost comeback, you know, has people sold on Nate still being a good, high-quality fighter. Um, it happened as well in the Masvidal fight with that cut happening. You know, that fight, going into the fourth round, there was a sense that Nate could get finished. That cut bails him out. And Nate's still a superstar because he wanted to keep fighting with the cut. When he was drenched in blood, you know, giving the middle fingers, landing shots, people love seeing that. And that was originated off him doing that and also beating Conor McGregor. And getting into the rematch being one of the best fights of all time. And the first fight being possibly the best upset of all time. So Nate is able to use all those things to stay a star, and whichever fight Nate fights in next, it's going to be the same. I mean, people don't know Leon Edwards, and um, obviously UFC fans do, but I saw people talking about this fight who didn't know Leon Edwards in a lot of sports media. And whatever Nate's fight next fight is, is going to be covered the exact same way. And... The question is, what is next for Nate Diaz? We'll just go right into that right now. What is next for Nate? He said he wants to fight again in three and four months, three or four months. That's wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. We won't have the definitive answer to what is next until we see Poirier versus McGregor for the most obvious of reasons. And there are four names right that that are that I have in my head right now the um, the first just said it Conor McGregor if Conor loses 
then this fight signed signed sealed delivered i mean it's got to happen if connor loses no doubt about it and then if connor wins that takes that fight off the table then that leaves three fights really the first being jorge versus nate and i'm not saying that as that being the fight that i would book but that being the um, fight with the most star power and, you know, kind of appeal would be Jorge Masvidal versus Nate Diaz. And a lot of people still want to see, you know, a lot of people want to see that fight again because of how it ended. And this Leon fight really helped. That Leon fight plays into the narrative of the Jorge fight. The narrative in the Jorge fight was, hey, Nate turns it up in the fourth and fifth round, and who knows what happens in the fourth and fifth round. It needs to be rematched. That's the pro-Nate narrative to getting that rematch. And in the Leon fight, we saw Nate almost finish that fight with a minute left. The last minute of that fight was 100% Diaz, and that plays right into the Jorge versus Nate narrative to where we have to see the fourth and fifth round of that fight. Whether you like it or not, that fight is more real now, especially after Jorge loses, and especially after that performance by Nate. So that is something that could definitely happen, and me personally, that's not something I want to see, and I'll explain that more in a second here. But the next fight in terms of, um, we'll rank them based off star power. Star The next fight ranking them off star power is Tony Ferguson. Tony Ferguson versus Nate Diaz has been in one of those fights where why haven't these two dudes fought? They've been around the UFC. They've been around the same weights for a long period of time. And as much as people are sold on Tony Ferguson, Tony versus Nate could, you know, really get people back in terms of wanting to see Tony again. Because if you want to see, you know... It's not hard to sell people Tony Ferguson versus Nate Diaz. All you have to do is pull up. You could put a 30-second promo together, you know, show a couple Tony Ferguson highlights, and people are going to be like, oh, geez, this dude's fighting Nate Diaz. Sounds like a good time to me. And, you know, press conferences for that would be wild. That fight altogether would sell, and someone's got to win that fight. And when Tony Ferguson or Nate Diaz are winning – the UFC is in a good place. Then that's the same with the um, the other two fights mentioned. You know, Nate Diaz versus Connor. Somebody's in the win column. That's good for the UFC. Jorge versus Nate. Someone's in the win column. That's good for the UFC. And I know that has to put someone in the loss column as well, obviously. But the UFC doesn't look too worried about that because they booked Leon Edwards versus Nate Diaz. And we're okay with seeing, you know, someone going to the loss column and I have to imagine that the UFC going into that was very aware of the possibility of Nate losing so obviously in in any time someone can benefit off a win someone is losing and that's just something the UFC has to do for you know one person to grow and one person to get big opportunities someone else you can't just protect these people for forever so the last fight that 
Doesn't have as much star power in it, but Nate Diaz versus Dan Hooker. Now, Dan Hooker just gets in fun fights. That's what he does. Nate Diaz gets in fun fights. That's what he does. Nate or Dan Hooker seems like he wants to fight. And that fight was apparently talked about and apparently looked at before Dan Hooker lost to Michael Chandler. So that shows that, in a way, Diaz was at one time interested in this fight. And getting Diaz interested in a fight with, you know, the first three guys, you know, a lot easier because they're big names. Dan Hooker isn't a big name to the public audience. And showing that he's already had some, you know, some thoughts about this fight is a positive. And I think that this is a fight that would... um, really really be a fun one because neither of these guys have I don't want to say neither of these guys have knockout power because it's just simply not true but neither of these guys are known for their knockout power uh Nate Diaz obviously we saw it last night can land big shots that really hurt people and he can get finishes he was 30 seconds away from a finish on Saturday Dan Hooker I mean obviously has KO power. KOs against James Vick and Gilbert Burns. You know, many KOs on his record that I'm looking at here. But he also had the fights against Dustin Poirier and Paul Felder where they were absolute wars and he was able to beat Paul Felder through landing frequently and not with power. You know what I mean? So... Um, I think that is a fight that would have fight of the night written all over it. And it's something that I'd want to see. And I, on that, that, that is my favorite fight because I like Dan Hooker. And I think a win for Dan Hooker against Nate Diaz would be very, very beneficial to him. But I also like that fight for X's and O's, like I just said. And I also like that fight. Because I like Nate Diaz at 155. He just looks smaller against Leon. And that size, giving up that size is going to be tough for sustained success. And Nate Diaz wins when he loses. But when Nate Diaz wins, he really wins. So I want to see Nate Diaz get some wins. And I think 155 is the best lane for that. I mean, he's going up against guys who won't punch as hard, which allows him to be more aggressive and, you know, put himself out there more, spend more time in the pocket, throwing to the head and the body, mixing it up like he did against um, Pettis. Against Pettis, some of my favorite moments in that fight were when Diaz was inside, you know, mixing to the head and body, in a Diaz-esque way, we can see that back more at 155 than we will at 175. And 175 just simply has, you know, bigger, more powerful punchers, and it makes the fights more less likely Nate wins and more likely that he gets finished. And the second Nate gets finished, it's his career is probably done in terms of being a superstar that people want to see fight. I mean, it's getting that way with Connor after he lost to Dan Hooker, or excuse me, 
when when he lost to Dustin Poirier. When Nate loses the talk after the fight, I mean, even in this one, he was like, wasn't able to turn it on. Uh, you know, it happens in previous fights. And he also said, you know, the finish in the, or almost getting the finish was, you know, he won the, the real fight. But if he gets finished, he can't make those claims. That ends all of that talk. So um, that's why I want to see him at 155. And I think Tony and I think Connor and I think Dan Hooker are all really good options for that. And there's other guys too, obviously, that would play into that as well. But for right now, those are the guys that um, really, really interest me. And if he wants to, if he wants to stay at 170, I think you know you can open that book to some more names. And not getting, you know, you know, having moments against Leon Edwards really, really gives him an opportunity to get some guys at 170. So those we we really went on. We, you know, we also need to touch on, almost forgot, what's next for Leon Edwards? Leon Edwards is, Leon Edwards isn't in a great spot right now in terms of getting a title shot. It's looking like it's going to go to Colby. And the talk going into this was, if Leon wins, he gets the title shot after Colby. And so that was kind of tentative. Because obviously things change in MMA really quick. Now the problem is, Leon didn't do do or say anything that would make that change happen. If Colby was truly, you know, the next guy, what did Leon do to make you go, oh wow, he deserves that title shot? Usually, that is done via a finish. And I think in recent memory, the only person who's been able to do that after a decision was Max versus, actually there's two, Max versus Qatar, where people were like, oh yeah, Max has got to get that title shot. But I guess he was already, you know, he was borderline next in line. Um, But the win over Qatar really put him a mile ahead for the title shot. He didn't get it, but it sounds like he didn't want it. And then Whitaker versus Gaslam, everyone thought he was next in line. And that fight that he had against Gaslam where he got the decision, you know, really put him next in line. But in both those fights, you know, neither of those guys almost, you know, both of those guys were very, 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 very dominant from start to finish and did some very impressive things. Leon, well, he did a lot of what I got, a lot of what I just mentioned. He also, you know, had everything else that happened that we talked of, already talked about, almost got finished with a minute left, and he didn't do anything in the public's eye to make people really impressed with Leon Edwards. And that's a shame because does Colby deserve the next title shot? Yes or no? Um, it's really, really iffy. It's really iffy. And, you know, Leon had that opportunity for as many things that haven't gone Leon's way. He had that opportunity to put himself forward, but he wasn't able to grasp it, it seems like. And it's looking like we're going to see. It's looking like we're going to see Colby versus Kamaru next. 
However, thankfully, Kamaru fights frequently. At least he has been. As long as Kamaru isn't injured, he fights frequently. There was a period of time where we weren't seeing Kamaru often, and that's because of his injuries. But as of now, he's healthy and he's fighting. So we should be able to see Colby. And then after that, um, we have Leon versus Wonderboy pretty much for who's next. And Wonderboy is going to have an opportunity to jump Leon. If Wonderboy can finish Gilbert Burns, he's probably going to get that next title shot. So that's something that, you know, this isn't going to be the last time we're talking about Leon Edwards getting or not getting a title shot. And uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be real interesting. And we're going to have to have this discussion again probably in in a month when Wonderboy and Gilbert Burns fight. We're going to be really, really having this discussion. And it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a fun one. Now uh, the other we're already deep into this. We're fifty three minutes in, but I mean we got we got stuff to talk about here. I mean, Damian Maya versus Below Muhammad. Below Muhammad was very impressive in this fight. He denied takedowns of Damian Maya, and he outstruck Maya. Um, the first of those two being obviously the far more impressive one, defending the takedowns. But Bilal Muhammad got a very good win here, and he has put himself um, in an interesting position at 170 because he's going to be moving up in those rankings. Uh, I think Jeff Neal, or excuse me, Jeff Neal makes sense for what's next for Bilal Muhammad. For Damian Maya, I thought we were going to see a retirement. I thought we were going to see the gloves placed on the cage in front of a live audience for Damian Maya. However, it doesn't look like that's going to happen, and it also doesn't look like Damian Maia is going to fight in the UFC again. This was talked about as being his retirement fight from what I heard, and then uh, the overwhelming consensus was, hey, if he wins, you know, he's not done. But then he didn't win, and then, you know, he you know, didn't lay his gloves down. So um, I don't know why that happened, but Dana, Dana seemed like, you know, hey, his time in the UFC is done is kind of what it seemed like. So, Damian Maia versus Blow Muhammad. Great fight, good fight, fun fight to watch. Now, we're going to have to look out what is, for what is next for Damian Maia because that could have been the last time we saw him in the octagon. The next fight on the card was Paul Craig versus Jamal Hill. Jamal Hill is one tough man, and Paul Craig is one great grappler. Those are the two things I learned from that fight. Well, I guess everyone already knew Paul Craig was a great grappler, but he went out there and proved it again. And uh, he obviously, it was great to see. It was great to see that Jamal's elbow was not, you know, broken or his arm wasn't broken, and it was just some dislocations. And I, I was very glad to see these two guys kind of make up, and it seems like they're cool with each other. I've seen some posts from Jamal Hill where, you know, they were hanging out and they kind of got over their differences. And that was good to see. Paul Craig has put himself right back in the talks at one or at two oh five. Knowing knowing how they treat Paul Craig, they'll probably give Paul Craig, you know, someone around the tenth spot uh, in terms of rankings. Jamal Hill isn't gonna slide too far here. You know, while he was submitted and he did lose, you know, he got submitted by the best grappler in that division. So it's like 
it happens. I mean, what can you say? It happens. He didn't get submitted by Ovin St. Pru. You know, he did get submitted by Paul Craig. Like I said, it happened. But this isn't like, uh, oh, my God, Jamal Hill, you know, can't defend a takedown or Jamal Hill has glaring weaknesses. He just got outgrappled once by a tremendous grappler. So Jamal Hill is not done. He has a bright future in the UFC. And he'll probably get someone just outside that top 15. And if he falls out of the rankings tomorrow when they're dropped, he'll be back in soon um, when he's healthy and when he fights again. Now, the, we're done with the main card, but we have to talk about some of these prelims fight. I mean, prelims fights. I mean, Drew Dober versus Brad Riddell was, it was just simply ridiculous. I mean, Brad Riddell wins the decision. I wasn't scoring the fight. I didn't care because I'm just having fun watching this fight. I'm not going to sit here and stress over who won a ridiculous slugfest that was fight of the night. I'm going to watch for enjoyment. I'm going to watch pure violence and have a good time. That's what I did. But this was a fun one. Drew Dober, Brad Riddell, stock for both of them went up. And uh, both these guys are going to be... Um, Riddell is obviously going to be in the top 15. Drew Dober, similar situation to Jamal Hill. He's not going to be far out. Um There's a lot of fights that make sense for these guys going forward. Personally, I'd like to see Gillespie versus Riddell. We were supposed to see that fight. I'd like to see it again for Drew Dober. Drew Dober's a savage. Give him someone, you know. Drew Dober is going to end up fighting one of those guys where you're like, oh, my God, this guy's great. Why isn't he ranked? Like uh, Fazeev. Um, That's probably someone that... Drew Dober is going to end up fighting. Drew Dober is going to fight the dude that no one wants to fight and the guy who's ridiculously good that um, that no one else will fight. So that's what Drew Dober is going to do, willing to bet. And then the last fight, ah, not the last fight we're going to talk about. And uh, just a heads up, if, if you're watching and you want to see the breakdown of next week's fight card that I was going to do, all I'm going to do is do a quick fuck, quick talk about the um, – main main event um because we're running late on this because i got into three rants about the three best fights on uh, saturday's card but lauren murphy versus joanne calderwood is the next one lauren murphy deserves that title shot and does she deserve a title shot because i think she can beat valentina no but i don't think anyone anytime soon is going to beat valentina so valentina's got to fight somebody if she's fighting at 135 lauren murphy deserves to be the challenger and based off what she's done and the win streak that she has started, Joanne Calderwood, you know, is not going anywhere. You know, she looked good in that fight, and she's probably going to fight someone in the top five in her next fight too. Maybe um, Joanne Calderwood versus uh, Vivian Arjuno is actually the fight I'd like to see next. I think that'd be a fun fight, and it's going to get one of those girls closer to the title. That's what I want to see next. Now, the last fight we're going to talk about from UFC 263, Hakeem Dawadu versus Mozart Ivalev. Dawadu is someone I really like, and Ivalev is someone that I really respect because he's such a good grappler. Ivalev went out there 
and really just dominated Dawadu for the first two rounds. And then in the third round, Dawadu comes back and has some great moments and wins the third round. All I'm going to say for this fight is um, not many people get through the first and second round after the pace of Ivalev. That is um, just based off Ivalev's talent. He finishes most guys in either the first or second round. Most of those guys either get submitted, get a TKO, get TKO'd via ground and pound, or they just flat out quit. And Dawadu didn't do that. And going into the third round, he wasn't tired somehow. Well, I, I'm sure he was tired, but he wasn't compromised um, based off how tired he was. And he went out there and he won the third round. There's almost nobody who could do that. So, well, Ivalev went out there and proved why he was ranked and why he's going to be a problem in the near future for a lot of these guys in the top 10. That would do also proved he ain't going nowhere. And if you put Dawudu in there with anyone, he's going to give him one tough time and he's not going to quit and he's going to he's going to try and knock you out. So I like I like Dawudu versus Burgos next. That fight was supposed to happen. They both lost. Maybe Dawudu versus Yusuf for Ivalev. Um the loser of ooh, for Dawudu. Excuse me, for Ivalev. Him and Bryce Mitchell would be some fun grappling. I want to see that fight. That fight sounds like fun to me. Bryce Mitchell versus Mosvar Ivalev. And the last thing I'm going to say about that fight, can we change the UFC scoring in terms of st statistical scoring, not round and fight scoring? Statistically, why is a Matt return a takedown? I mean, you always got to hear about, oh, this guy has this many takedowns, and come on. Like, mat return and takedown are two very different things. It's a lot tougher to get a takedown than it is to get a mat return, but they count the same on the scorecard for some reason because we saw this a lot in this fight. Dawadu would be in a bad position, and then um, he'd start to stand up. Mosvar would lock his hands. You know, well, Dawadu was on his way up, and then obviously... He's going to get a mat return there. I mean, the, we're acting like this is, you know, we're acting like we're getting 30 takedowns a fight when in reality we're getting five takedowns and 25 mat returns. It's like mat returns and takedowns are two very different things. Takedowns are far more impressive. Well, you do need mat returns. I'm not knocking mat returns, but there's a reason that in a in wrestling, the mat return isn't scored as a takedown because you could just, you know, guy gets one, two, try to stand up, boom, mat return. You know, that's a drill in in wrestling practice rooms. You know, stand up, bottom guy stands up, other guy, mat return. You know, it's a, it's a drill, and while it's not particularly, I guess it's not even like, it's not like it's, I guess it's, it's, I'm sure, you know, it's hard to do in a, fight but you know if you if you give me someone who's hey this guy has the best takedowns in the world and this guy has the best mat returns in the world I'm going to take the dude that has the best takedowns in the world so just a pet peeve of mine that was really getting me frustrated and I kind of wanted to say that and like I said we're running late this this episode is long 
and uh, no one wants to listen to something so long. So we're only going to talk about one fight, Korean Zombie versus Dan Ige in Saturday's main event. Now, this is going to be a fun fight. That's the only thing I can, I'm can. i willing to guarantee. I guarantee you this will be a fun fight because Dan Ige doesn't get in boring fights. Korean Zombie doesn't get in boring fights, so my money is on it's not being a boring fight. Now, Dan Ige has a chance to get himself in prime position here. This is a great opportunity that we haven't seen someone have in a long time. For a long time at 145, it has always been the top guys. And those guys being Volkanovski, Max Holloway, Brian Ortega, Yair Rodriguez, Zabit, and Korean Zombie. Those six guys have always been in a position where it's like, hey, these are the guys and there's everyone else. And for that period of time... It's just been matchups along those top six guys that we've kind of, I've talked about those six guys as, you know, um, six, seven, whatever the number is. But I've talked about those guys as, hey, these guys are the guys. Um, and I thought there was a clear drop off. Now, we're seeing that, again, one of those guys are fighting. But we have someone who has an opportunity to break in and really disrupt the top tier of what we've seen for featherweights for a long time. Long time. So Danny Gay has himself an opportunity to really make this division even more interesting than it is. And he has a chance, a good chance to win this fight. And it's going to be a fun fight. I lean Ige just because of, you know, as of late, he's been the more active guy. He's been the more he's been the better fighter, you know. Obviously, the Korean Zombie loses to Brian Ortega. Um, nothing on that, but um, I just like the guy coming off a couple more wins and a couple more fights than uh, the Korean Zombie, who's been a little bit more inactive and um, coming off some more losses. So that is. Um, that's just the way that I am leaning on this one. And that being the last note here, one that was just the last thing I wanted to talk about before we got out of here. And thank you for watching. Thank you for watching the 31st episode of the Headkick KO podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you watched UFC 263. And I hope you had a good time watching that. And if you enjoyed this episode you're going to want to come back for the next one we'll have the next one after dan Ige and the korean zombie we'll talk about that fight card there should be some breaking news to talk about because we didn't have any this week nothing notable so i'm assuming uh the press is probably just all i'm thinking my prediction is that it's going to be backed up because last week was such a, you know, kind of a bad week to drop news when you have UFC 263. So I'm thinking this week we're going to see some news droppings. That's usually what happens when we don't see a lot one week. Usually the next week will be like, oh my goodness, what's going on? So um, there should be some news to talk about. And then after that, we will discuss the next fight card, which is Surreal Gan versus Alexander Volkov. So, like I said, thank you for watching this episode, the 31st episode of the Head KO Podcast. And make sure you come back next week for more. 
Thank you once again. Goodbye.